Section 12 of The Philosophy of the Plan of Salvation by James Barr Walker. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 14. Concerning Faith as the Exercise Through Which Truth Reaches and Affects the Soul. When Christ, man's perfect and spiritual instructor, had come, and introduced the great doctrines of the spiritual dispensation, the next necessary step in the process was, that those truths should be brought to impress the soul, and influence the life, and so produce their proper effects upon human nature. The inquiry then presents itself, in what way could the truths of the gospel be brought into efficient contact with the soul of man? There are but two ways in which truth can be brought into contact with the mind. The one is sometimes called knowledge, the other faith or belief of testimony. In the earlier and ruder ages, men were necessarily moved more by knowledge, derived from their own observation and experience, through the medium of their senses. But as mankind increased in number, important truth was conveyed by one man or one generation communicating their experience, and another man or another generation receiving it by belief in their testimony. Perception and faith are the only modes by which truth can be brought into contact with the soul, and their effects are nearly the same upon man's conduct and feelings, with the following remarkable exception. Facts which are the subjects of personal observation, every time they are experienced, the effect upon the soul grows less, while, on the contrary, those facts which are received by faith produce, every time they are realized, a greater effect upon the soul. By constant sight, the effect of objects seen grows less. By constant faith, the effect of objects believed in grows greater. The probable reason of this is, that personal observation does not admit of the influence of the imagination in impressing the fact, while unseen objects, realized by faith, have the auxiliary aid of the imagination, not to exaggerate them, but to clothe them with living colors, and impress them upon the heart. Whether this be the reason or not, the fact is true, that the more frequently we see, the less we feel the power of an object, while the more frequently we dwell upon an object by faith, the more we feel its power. This being true, it follows that faith would be the method best adapted to bring the sublime truths of the new dispensation to bear upon the souls of men. And further, as the dispensation is spiritual, and has relation to unseen and eternal things, faith becomes the only medium through which they can be conveyed to the soul. Furthermore, man is so constituted that his faith, or belief, has an influence not only over his conduct in life, but likewise over the character and action of the moral powers of the soul. Faith governs the conscience. We have said in another place that a true conscience depends upon a true faith. No proposition in morals is more plain. It is not our design to inquire what leads or has led men to a wrong faith. Whatever may be the cause of any particular belief, it is incontrovertible that if a man believes a thing to be right, conscience cannot condemn an act performed in view of that belief. 
conscience is so modified and guided by a man's faith that it will sanction and command an act in one man which it will forbid and condemn in another a catholic believes that he ought to pray to the virgin mary to intercede for him with god and if a good catholic were to neglect his dulia to the saints his conscience would smite him until in some instances he confesses his sin with tears now if a good protestant were to pray to saints or to any other being but god his conscience would smite him for doing that which the conscience of the catholic smote him for not doing so the heathen mother will conscientiously throw her infant into the ganges or under the wheels of juggernaut while the conscience of a christian mother would convict her of murder were she to do the same act conscience seldom convicts those that christians call impenitent persons for neglecting to pray while the moment a man becomes a true believer he will be convicted of guilt if he neglects the duty so certainly and so clearly is this true that a man's conscience is governed by his faith faith governs the affections as man is constituted no power in the universe can move his affections to an object until he believes that the object possesses some loveliness or excellency of character the heart is affected just as much by the goodness of another if we believe that goodness to exist as it would be if we knew that it existed no matter in the case of the affections whether the object in reality possesses the good qualities or not if they are fully believed to exist the affections will act just as certainly as though they really did exist the affections are constituted to be governed by faith and they act most powerfully as was demonstrated in a previous chapter in view of good qualities existing in another who under certain circumstances exercises those qualities towards us the fact then is apparent that the conduct of man's life is influenced by what he believes and especially that the character and action of the moral powers of his nature are governed by the principle of faith another most important fact in connection with this subject is that a man's interests temporal and spiritual depend upon what he believes the nature of man and the nature of things are so constituted that the belief of falsehood always destroys man's interests temporal or spiritual and the belief of truth invariably guides man right and secures his best and highest good perhaps the most absurd and injurious adage that has ever gained currency among mankind is that it is no difference what a man believes if he only be sincere now the truth is that the more sincerely a man believes falsehood the more destructive it is to all his interests for time and eternity this statement can be confirmed in every mind beyond the reach of doubt first the influence of believing falsehood on temporal and social interests we will state some cases of common and constant occurrence in order that the principle may be made obvious a gentleman of property and the highest respectability in the course of his business transactions became acquainted with an individual who as the event showed was a man destitute in a great degree of a conscientious regard for truth the persuasions and false representations of this man 
led the gentleman referred to to embark almost his entire fortune with him in speculations in which he was at that time engaged while this matter was in progress the friends of the gentleman called upon him and stated their doubts of the individual's integrity who solicited his confidence and likewise of the success of the enterprises in which he was solicited to engage the advice of his friends was rejected he placed confidence in the false statements of the individual referred to he acted upon those statements and was consequently involved in pecuniary distress in this case the gentleman not only sincerely believed the falsehood to be the truth but he had good motives in relation to the object which he desired to accomplish he was a benevolent man he had expended considerable sums for charitable and religious uses and his desire was by the increase of his property to be enabled to accomplish greater good in this case he was injured likewise by believing what others did not believe the individual who seduced him into the speculation had endeavoured to lead others to take the same views and to act in the same way they did not believe the falsehood and were consequently saved he believed and was consequently ruined when the english army under harold and the norman under william the conqueror were set in array for that fearful conflict which decided the fate of the two armies and the political destinies of great britain william perceiving that he could not by a fair attack move the solid columns of the english ranks had recourse to a false movement in order to gain the victory he gave orders that one flank of his army should feign to be flying from the field in disorder the officers of the english army believed the falsehood pursued them and were cut off a second time a false movement was made in another part of the field the english again believed pursued and were cut off by these movements the fortunes of the day were determined although the english had the evidence of their senses yet they were led to believe a falsehood they acted in view of it the consequence was the destruction of a great part of their army and the establishment of the norman power in england how often does it occur that the young female possessing warm affections and being inexperienced in the wiles of villains is led to believe falsehood which destroys her prospects and her happiness while life lasts under other circumstances she might have been virtuous useful happy by false indications of affection her heart is won by false promises of faithfulness and future good her assent to marry is gained and then when too late she discovers that her husband is a villain and she is forsaken with a broken heart to the cold sympathies of a selfish world no matter how many hearts besides her own are broken by her error no matter how sincere or how guileless or how young she sincerely believed the falsehood and is thereby ruined nothing in heaven or on earth will avert the consequences if she had doubted she would have been saved she believed and is consigned to sorrow till she sinks into her grave second the belief of falsehood in relation to spiritual things destroys man's spiritual interests 
it is an uncontrovertible fact that the whole heathen world, ancient and modern, have believed in and worshipped unholy beings as gods. Now, from the necessities of the case, as demonstrated in the introductory chapter, the worshipper becomes assimilated to the character of the object worshipped. In consequence of believing falsehood concerning the character of God, all heathendom at the present hour is filled with ignorance, impurity, and crime. As a mass of corruption spreads contagion and death among all those who approach it, so certainly does the worship of unholy things attaint the soul, and spread moral corruption through the world. Can a man take coals into his bosom and not be burned? Neither can the soul hold communion with beings believed to be unholy, and not itself become corrupt. The fact is so plain that it is not necessary to detail again the impurities, the vices, the tortures, the self-murders, and the unnatural affections of the heathen world, in order to show the deadly evils, both to the body and soul, which arise from the belief of falsehood in relation to spiritual things. It must be obvious to every one that if the heathen believed in one holy and benevolent God, their abominable and cruel rites would cease. It follows, therefore, that it is the belief of falsehood that causes their ignorance and corruption. Thus it is invariably and eternally true that the belief of truth will lead a man right and secure his temporal, spiritual, and eternal interests, and on the contrary the belief of falsehood will lead a man wrong and destroy his interests in relation to whatever the falsehood pertains, whether it be temporal or eternal. The preceding premises being established, the following conclusions result. 1. The entire man, in his body and soul, his actions and moral feelings, is governed by what he believes, and that, in relation to things that should have a constantly increasing influence over the spirit, faith is a more powerful actuating cause than sight, because the one gains while the other loses power over the soul by repetition. 2. That the belief of falsehood, concerning any human interest, is fatally injurious, while the belief of truth is eternally beneficial, and that the more sincerely any one believes error, the more certainly he destroys his interests, whether temporal or spiritual, while, on the contrary, the more sincerely a man believes truth, the more certainly and powerfully are his interests advanced. The living God has connected evil with the belief of falsehood, and good with the belief of truth. It is a part of the constitutional law of the moral universe, and there is no power in existence that will stop the consequence from following the antecedent. 3. Market that doctrine which rectifies the conscience, purifies the heart, and produces love to God and men, is necessarily true, because, as it has been demonstrated that righteousness and benevolence is the greatest good of the soul, and likewise that the greatest good must depend on the belief of truth, therefore the conclusion is inevitable that that doctrine which, being believed, destroys sin in the heart and life of man, and produces righteousness and benevolence, is the truth of God. No matter whether men can comprehend all its depths and relations or not, if it destroys sin wherever it takes effect by faith, 
and makes happiness grow out of right living and right loving, from the constitution of things, from the character of God, from the nature of man, that doctrine is the truth of God. And that doctrine which hinders this result, or produces a contrary result, is the falsehood of the devil. Footnote. John 8.44. End footnote. 4. Therefore Christ laid, at the foundation of the Christian system, this vital and necessary principle, quote, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, and he that believeth not shall be damned, end quote, saved in accordance with the moral constitution of the universe, and damned from the absolute necessities existing in the nature of things. End of section 12